Hey everybody, welcome back to the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, George, and we are sponsored. First sponsor we have here is Killcliff. You can find them at killcliff.com. I'm going to highlight their recovered drink today. Uh, basically, no sugar, electrolytes, B vitamins, only 15 calories. Basically, what it is is a specialized blend of plant extracts, enzymes, and B vitamins and electrolytes to support hydration and post-workout recovery. So after that long workout you have, hard workout, crack yourself open to recover. They also have them with CBD now. They have three flavors, uh, orange kush, grapiest of all time, goat, and mango tango. So check them out at killcliff.com. Use code survival10. Another great thing about uh, Killcliff is that they support the Navy SEAL Foundation. They're an official partner with them. And we're always about giving back to the veterans, giving back to the community. And uh, the Navy SEAL Foundation does all that and supports all those service members and family members as well. So check them out, killcliff.com. Use code SURVIVAL10. You save 10%. Get yourself some Recover, some Recover CBDs. They also have Ignites and Endure. So check those out at killcliff.com. Next up, we have Casey Highlights. You can find them at caseyhighlights.com. And if you want to save 10%, put in that field craft to save 10%. Casey Highlights, uh, they have everything from uh, trail lights to light bars to rock lights to uh, the round, iconic Casey Highlights lights to put on, on your truck, your car, minivan, whatever you can mount a light onto, you can mount a Casey light to. So check them out at kchighlights.com. Use code FIELDCRAFT and save 10%. We're getting all of our rigs uh, outfitted with KC Highlights at the moment. Mike's big rig, the Dodge, has KC Highlights all over it. So if you see that driving around, give it a honk, and uh, maybe Mike will stop and give you some swag or something. Anyway, but check them out, kchighlights.com. Use code FIELDCRAFT 10% for all your lighting needs for off-road, on-road, anywhere you need to light up something, KC Highlights has you covered. Next up is Triarch Systems. You can find them at triarchsystems.com. Uh, Triarch Systems, probably hands down one of the top manufacturers of carbines, uh, Glocks. You can get your Tri-11, uh, 1911s, anything customized that you need to get done with them, you can go through triarchsystems.com. I have one of their carbines of 14.5, and that thing is a workhorse. Uh, it never stops. It's built tough. It doesn't rattle when you when you hold it. It shoots, I mean, every single time I pull the trigger, the round goes, and that's all you can ask for when you uh, purchase a Triarch. So, yeah, check them out at triarchsystems.com. Use code FIELDCRAFT, one word, and save 5%. Remember, if you're looking for a custom Glock, if you're looking for a Tri-11 with the flat trigger, this is a place to go, triarchsystems.com. Just check them out. Just go to the website, triarchsystems.com and uh, just look around what they got. You'll see and hopefully you'll purchase. Remember, Fieldcraft to save 5%. Next up, we have Uncana. You can find them at uncana.com. Uncana is a CBD company, all natural. You know, who wants to take pills all the time? You know, when you can take all natural CBD, they have, they have tinctures, they have gel caps, they have lotions and potions. I like their menthol... Uh, there's a, it's 100% CBD, no, no THC in this one, but, uh, it's just a, like a nice menthol cream you put in the sore muscles 
achy, wherever you're aching at, you just apply that and it will uh, reduce that inflammation and take some of that pain away. But uh, yeah, so check them out at uncanna.com. Use Fieldcraft20 to save 20% off your order. This episode, I was able to interview a celebrity chef named Eduardo Garcia. And what he had happened to him back in 2011, he had a honey accident where he came upon a, I'm not going to give too much away. He just had a real bad honey accident. He got electrocuted and was able to find his way out after walking four miles um, off this mountain. And uh, he also has a documentary called Charged and it follows, it's on Amazon Prime, by the way. It follows his journey from his recovery all the way to where he is today. So enjoy the podcast, Eduardo Garcia. See you later. Good afternoon, Eduardo. How are you? Hey, George. I'm doing well. Nice to see you. So uh, you're up there in Montana? Yes, I am. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of like your background and where it all started. Sure. All right. Um, I have been mostly a Montana kid since I was six years old. Um, at 38, it's uh, this is where I this is the place that built me. And you know, if 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 it can be said that a geographic place traveled and carries with us, you know, right. and that I feel myself to be a Montanan by heart, spirit, and soul. And then, um, you know, in today's day, I, uh, I'm a chef by trade and I spent about my, my high school years in college, culinary school, flipping burgers, rolling sushi, kind of ran the gamut of restaurants. And then, um, through my twenties, I was a yacht chef. So I, I worked for various families on their, um, on their yachts around the world, which was an incredible adventure, ton of hard work. But um, what a what a rad opportunity! Right. And at some point, at some point, um, you know, I uh, decided to come home to Montana, and I currently um, am the co-founder and CEO of a food brand, Montana Max. And um, that is how I chef these days: is by sharing my love of food, nice. the site that I feel in its role in our lives, in our purpose, and and in our fuel, what we do. And, um, you know, I, I currently live in Southwest Montana with my wife, our, uh, our dog, our two cats, our 12 chickens, <laughs> our 10 ducks and our 15,000 bees. That's awesome. That's one of my goals is cause we're, we're getting ready to move up to Utah, uh, soon. And, you know, one of my goals is to have that kind of farm feel like I want to get a couple of goats, maybe a couple of cows. My wife raised cows, uh, back yeah. in the day in North Carolina and just, get some chickens and just kind of just get that, get back to like working the earth, growing my own food and just learning about it too, you know, cause yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm new to it. So when you were a yacht chef, take me through like a typical, like, how does that work? I mean, you're living on the yacht, you're, are you buying the food? I mean, obviously you're doing the menus, but like, what's a typical, how does that work? Like from, you know, a, a typical day. Uh, well, there's, no such shit. No such thing as a typical day in the wild, and I feel like the fact that you're floating on water. I mean, I guess even on land, you know. Um, but it, it felt like every day was different. So t a typical day on a boat is is waking up, living, living and breathing 
work, life, play all in the same, you know, and that I think was a very unique and interesting um, first career, if you will, was not having that separation between home, drive to work, commute, work, commute home. Yeah. Um, you know, living on the yacht meant, um, you know, there may be no food to cook, but you were on watch. Mm-hmm learning how to navigate at night through use radar, you know, doing, there was always something happening, you know, no matter what, always a security detail. There was always things to be considered and you're, you're, you know, you're a bit of a target, which is interesting because, you know, like we're, there's no day off. You are a advocate of the, of this enterprise. right? Right. And so even, so it was always wild. Um, but for the most part, that kept it fresh and interesting, you know, it, it was not like, uh, it was definitely something that I, I loved and enjoyed. Um, but, but in regards to the shepping, which is, I think what you were getting at and cooking, um, it, when the boss was on board, when we had guests 5am every day, no matter what time I'd gone to bed, I knew that in order to succeed and win that day, boil bagels be ready for the first guest to wake at six with fresh pastries mm. all of it and then all the way through being up till 2 3 a.m or, or not even as extreme but that's what it could right. be every day as a chef you know my role was to be prepared for whatever the heck happened you know i may think we're on that dock for a month mm. cool i can run to the grocery store every minute and and phone call may happen and all of a sudden it's like, Hey team, we need to be in Aruba in five hours. So we're leaving in an hour. Go, you know? And so it was because what, you know, it means that you, when you, when you have a, having a stocked pantry at all times is kind of rad because it does mean you can party, you know, it makes you work playful and fun and you can, and you start jamming with and when every department's like that with the engineer, the captain, the the interior team, um, the deckhand, when everyone's all fine tuned, it can be really fun. And then, of course, when it's, you know, when when you got missing links, then it's totally effed. Yeah. And it's <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. what is it about the cooking process that like fascinates you the most? Well, is it like a different feeling, like cooking different foods, or being around like a different environment while you're cooking? I, I think it's one of um, I haven't thought this through, but it just seems to it seems to fire off in so many different avenues of feel of of of, of being like like it's sensorial through taste, through sight, through smell, through sound, through touch, through vitality, through culture, through story, like in perpetuity, yeah. and. So, I mean, you know, it's like, woe on us if food ever becomes dull, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's what I love about it. It's just, it's rad. Yeah, I love it. And it doesn't require much of us. It like, it's just like a dog, but more. Yeah, I love the fact, like, when you eat a certain food, like, it brings you back to a memory or a place you've been. And right. it just it gets you in your brain. You're like, oh, I remember this, the smell. Like I was there on the streets and I saw this, I met this person. It's just a, I, I love food. It's a great feeling. Like when people gather with food and just so many things happen. Like I did a uh, exercise in Spain 
and we did. Uh, I was working with some Germans, Spaniards, um, all all over the place, and we had a day to go out to uh, Zaragoza, Spain. And yeah. we sat down at a meal, and we were sitting down probably for close to five to six hours just eating. They would bring plates of steak and peppers, and I was amazing. Yeah. I had it was the best time I've had in like that yeah. long time when e- just eating food with like ten different people. It was amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, and that so, and that, I guess that's what I find. That's what I love about food. I mean, it it, it not only it's so diverse of a must do must do like mm-hmm. like we can breathe a lot of different ways right yep. you know we could we can get jiggy with it lots of different ways right you know these like must do things procreate breathe drink eat sleep shelter but food is just like incredibly it's got its fingers in every single pot basically oh, and that's yeah. what makes it right yes, and, it and and it is um food you know, so so many. So it's an elemental need. That's what I love about food, right? It is. It's basically whether you like it or not. It requires our attention, and when given a certain amount of space, um, it can blossom into just being like the hot air that keeps your balloon afloat. You right. know, like it's it's so freaking basic. It's like working out, exercising, being healthy, loving, all this stuff. You know, it's like such a beautiful. It's almost like an item of balance. And, and I think when you take food in, just like working in the dirt, exercising, all these other things, it just it, like it helps. It almost hugs you. And it's like there's very few things that when you pour yourself into, mm-hmm. bring it back in dividends. You're like, God, this feels so good to do this. And oh, I just yeah. never met anyone that was like, ah, it is the most painful thing to do in the world is to eat, you know, like, come on. <laughs> well, for my, my six-year-old, is just, that's her. She's, it's so oh, painful for her. her to eat. Like <laughs> every yeah. night's a struggle <laughs> and yeah. we, and we make good yeah. food. So it's, I don't know. It's funny, but no, I feel you on that one. Uh, so do you have like a, a favorite meal to prepare or like a, a, kind of a go-to when you introduce somebody to your way of uh, cooking? You know, that's a that th- thank you for asking it that way because so many times a chef will get what's your favorite meal or mm-hmm. what, what's your what you know what and and more often than not it's the hardest thing to answer but the way you've mm-hmm. it is or what would you cook for someone else if you were sharing mm-hmm. if you like this is your one shot right um, like if, you know if I could cook for a hero of mine or something right, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or, or you oh great you know I would um, I would. I would find for I, w- I would cook with ingredients that I knew the story of, whether they were through me or you, um, because that would empower me and give me the confidence that I was working with good material. That you know, like I know that oh, I yeah. blossom in that environment when I'm working with something I know with my eyes closed, and um, and then I would incorporate um, those other elements that make me feel alive where I don't got to like be anybody but myself mm-hmm. and that, you know, so like it wouldn't be black tie. It wouldn't be fancy because that's not my element. Mm-hmm. It's someone else's for sure. And that's rad. Cause I want to be at that meal. But for me, it would be over a fire, you know, and, and it would be, you know, you know it would be free form, you know, yeah. like it would, it would be loose and free form and, and it would be with ingredients that had, um, that I could speak to, and uh, and more often than not, I'd, I'd 
more often than not, I'd want to like work on it together, but it wouldn't be a requirement. Like I'd be George, I'm so psyched. Like I get so much joy in, in doing this for you. Yeah. Yeah. But if you were like, how are you rolling those tortillas out? Like, that's cool. I <laughs> naturally say, you want to, you want to flip one or you want to press one out and yeah. you're into it. And now all of a sudden I, my joy of, of like owning it has graduated because I've been able to pass it on and you will help me complete why it matters to right. me. You know, that's so awesome. like a, a meal that allows for that space. That's my yeah, favorite I, meal, man. I, I enjoy doing uh, like barbecue. I bought a, you know, I had, what is it? The, uh, the Weber kettle grill, you know, I started off on a Weber kettle and then I, I spent the money on a Traeger and then, you know, I just, yeah. it's like the, the process of taking like a meat and adding heat to it and breaking down those fibers to make it tender and just like the science behind it. But there's also an art with the flavors and the spices yeah. you put on it. So I always, you know, look at it as there's, it's a science, but at the same time, it's that art that makes it the best. Like that, that the, when someone eats it, like when I make ribs, I'll cook ribs for, you know, do five hours and then have everybody over to eat. And I won't even eat them. Like I'll taste them throughout the time, but I will sit back and watch everyone eat just to make sure like, okay, everyone's, everyone's liking it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's just like, that's how yeah. I, my, my, for my process, I, I make sure I don't, I want to watch people when they eat it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, but that's what brings you the joy. And that's, see, that's the thing. It's, it's like to each his own, but food, um, what a cool thing that it catalyzes in, in you, you know, is it, is it brings that place where it is appropriate for us to step back and, and bring joy to others and witness their joy Oh yeah, because it does, does joy for us. And mm -hmm. it's like, it's so meaningful. I think that we recognize that, we all find joy in different ways. And we, if we feel it, like run with it, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like run with that intuitive tributary of yourself. Um, cause it's, cause it's easy to like think the other way that, okay, in order to enjoy this, I gotta be all in or, you know, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, uh, I've been taught that this is how joy is, is by taking, you know? Oh yeah. So cool. I like that. So when you're, I'm, you know, watching your, your documentary and, and kind of, I've been kind of studying you throughout the day and seeing like you have a very outdoor lifestyle and hunting and stuff like that. Has hunting been like a part of your journey throughout your kind of your, your life for f cooking and food and one in like, what's the connection between your hunting and your passion for cooking? That's kind of what I wanted to ask. Um, yeah, you, you know, the, they, the, Hunting and and cooking, it all they they both also go to a place where I like being active. I like playing in the outdoors, being in the outdoors. Right. Um, last night, I was my wife was driving home from a photo shoot. Photographer, she had a late photo shoot. She had like a two hour drive, and you know, out Montana, not many cities in between. So yep. sometimes it's beautiful, but if you're tired, I mean, it's long dark drive. You know, mm -hmm. so I called her up. I was burning some, uh, like a slash pile in the yard. And so I called her up and I just laid down on the ground and was chatting with her for an hour, just to keep her on the oh, road. Yeah. Yep. Look at all the stars. And, and, and I just thought in that moment, how much I enjoy being connected to physically right on the ground, touching the ground, whether it's like with my hands or my feet or whatever it is. And uh, not just looking, seeing, smelling, but touching it, man. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so for hunting, Hunting is an extension of cooking. You know, it, it's like 
some of the grocery stores exactly what I need. I got why mm-hmm. I, I need pints of organic half and half right now, and there I go. Um, and I'm at the and I go to the grocery store all the time. I'm a professional shopper. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I was I was eight eight grocery store carts all <laughs> over the world, different supermarkets for the yacht, and it was looking like oh my god, you know. And, and so nothing wrong with shopping, but if given my druthers, if given how would you how do you want to collect your food for the rest of your life? No shit. I'd want to garden, hunt, forage, find, trade, barter um, for it. Mm-hmm. But to, to a point, and then I'll go to the grocery store for the rest of it. So I just find it super interesting, oh, you know, yeah. and it comes from that place of curiosity that as a kid, you know, I think you're six years old, someone takes you fishing, right. you know, somebody, someone brings you outside. So, um, but we, you know, being in Montana as a kiddo, Boy Scouts got me into the outdoors. Um, and, and then we just live by, by nature, you know, that's where we live, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, our property, we lived in a trailer on three quarter acres and bordering a huge 10,000 acre ranch in the national forest. So in a way, you know, my, my barrio, my hood, my urban area, my neighborhood was, the coyotes and the great right. horned owls and the meadow larks and the grasshoppers and the cottontail bunnies that met their demise, the cottontail bunnies, you know, to my curious, the, the curious kids running around mm-hmm. the woods and, you know, oh man, let's make a boomerang and see if, you know, we read a book about the Aboriginal and like you just go out and try because yeah, that's yeah. entertaining and active and all of a sudden you got a dead rabbit on your hand. <laughs> you got a, you got a, you got a trout on the line. Oh yeah. Like, okay. Now, yeah, this is the first time. I ever hunted and, and, and I'm, you know, proud to share the lesson I learned from this. Um, you know, we shot, we shot a deer. Me and my buddies were 11 years old with a 22 and down it went. And, and, and we, once it, once it expired, we had our knives and we just started butchering, but we didn't know what we were butchering. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what cut was for what right. we just knew we you know we eat meat that's mm-hmm. where a hamburger comes from and, and to be fair we left a lot of that deer on the ground and the coyotes ate it and you know we went home with this hind quarter and we went you know like total lord of the flies we cooked it over a fire and <laughs> then sliced some and laid it over some branches to try and smoke it and our jerky and um we weren't using salt we weren't using sugar we were using pine which is super acrid smoke and you know, oh yeah. Uh, so we did it all wrong by all accounts, but in the moment, it um, it was incredible to actually just go out and, and and eat, like go out and catch and eat and, and provide. Yeah. Pie. So I've always been fascinated by the the correlation between. You know, I studied Native Americans at at times, and and when I think about. Um, even the purpose of this, you know, the, the, the likeness of this podcast, the field craft survival. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, and I might digressing, but I'm really trying to get into the question is why I connect the two of hunting and cooking. Right. And um, the way I was raised, you know, we were raised in a spiritual community here in Southwest Montana and um, very much we farmed as a community, mm-hmm. you know, so we all lived in a communal area of a, a property, a large 8,000 acre ranch right on the Gardner, Montana border, you know, uh, Corwin Springs is, is the name of the town. 
And, um, and so we learned, I learned farming as a kiddo, like, you know, like many people do. Right. Um, but then for, for furthermore from there, you know, we learn sort of a connection to place, you know, we were taught to feel an energy of a place. And so I think just even in the way that I was raised, it, it brought out, um, it was just built into me that food is part of life, right? You know, uh, preschool, I would leave our quadplex, you know, like it was not even, a, it was like trail, like this huge dorm trailer with t- 10 families that had two rooms each. And, um, I would wake up, take a left and cross the Creek and go to the farm that was on the property and milk goats and then come back and go to class, mm-hmm. you know? Oh yeah. And, so it's just in my mind that it's just food and that's an adventure when you're eight years old, you know, we didn't have a black diamond headlamp back then, you know, maybe no. I had a hand flashlight that was like a, a plastic tube pla- with a yeah, white plastic plastic, yep, yep, battery. Exactly. <laughs> you know, clack, 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 it doesn't work. Uh-huh. And so, um, <laughs> it was adventurous, right? Oh you yeah. Know, walking all So I've always just had such a, there's been a, it's been a long love affair between, cooking, um, and then finding, foraging, hunting, fishing, you know, Mm -hmm. food exists in the wild. And, um, and how did the other, how did folks before us just do this indefinitely? Right. I mean, it was, yeah, they were outside every day. There was no grocery stores. They had to forage. They had to hunt. So, yeah, yeah. You you, you ever see that quote? My friend Daniel Kirkup had it in his cabin, but it was, um, it was fetch water, chop wood, repeat, mm-hmm. you know, it's like pretty basic. Oh yeah. It's just like that. Uh, there's a show called alone and it's like a, it's on uh hit the history channel, but they take 10 contestants and they take them to like a very like, oh, like the Arctic and they drop them off and they got like 10 items and they, the first, well, the, it's basically the last one standing wins like a $500,000, but it's, it's like that. You know, you, you're out there with nothing. You got to get up. You got to get water. You got to get firewood. You yeah. got to get food. So, yeah, it's, that's, I mean, that's a, that is challenging right there. Yeah, it, <laughs> it is challenging. Um, I, my friend Daniel, I, I would love to introduce you guys. I think everybody, you know, who listens to this podcast would love to meet him. But he, he presented this. I, and also, I'll share my friend. Daniel and his wife, Alexia, as I think this is interesting and it's inspired me when it comes to hunting food, gardening, foraging food, um, and then cooking, obviously being a part of that. But, um, I remember they did a food challenge and so it was a meal of all hand gathered items, right? So, so, you know, purchase things. Mm-hmm. So the whole meal consisted of something you grew, hunted, foraged, found, and so that can be urban foraging, whatever it is dumpster diving, you know, um, but then it graduated to a week and then a month and then they did a year. Nice. And so, but they were going on their hunting trips and backpack adventures with all home forage pantry kits meals. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, Oh, I just, I was so like to the point we're driving to the coast to harvest 10, 20, 50 gallons of water and to, to, to distill it down to salt and to have seed because they knew they were missing salt and sodium mm-hmm. from their diet and, and spices and herbs. And I just was so impressed and inspired by that, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's, that's so pretty the concept cool. Of a, it's pretty cool. A concept yeah. of a food challenge. And so 
I think, you know, to give a nod to my, my super amigo Daniel and, and Alexia, um, what that reminds me of is that, is that it should be fun, right? It should be, I mean, I, I think so. This is my opinion is that, um, we want to be, we want to be tickled and we want to be stimulated. We want to be not sleepwalk our way through life. Yeah, we want right? to have connections so, to things, you know, yeah, we want to turned on by stuff. You yep. know, we, we usually turn the other way when something puts us to sleep or when it's just, it's not getting us going. And so we know that we're drawn to the things that are exciting. So make it exciting, you mm-hmm. know, at some point, And this is again, total, I go to the grocery store folks all the time, you know, but, if we have the choice of making our life a little less predictable yep. in a way that's kind of within reason and low risk and low liability, and it actually becomes stimulating and it makes us feel like, like it brings out this youthful part that we can call youthfulness or, or childlike energy or cells, oh, yeah. which is, I'm 38, man. I, you know, I barely made this call today. You know, I'm like <laughs> hustling every day. So if I get a chance to get down low and see the bugs and, uh-huh. get slow and stalk a deer. It makes me feel like a kid again. And it, it makes my heart do this. And that tells me it's good for me. That's so right. that's part of my connection. Oh, that's awesome. So when you're, when you're preparing like wild game and you're kind of pairing it with different flavors, do you study what that wild game eats? Like it's diet kind of to pair like uh like tasting <clears throat> or like, how do you go about like pairing it with different things? Yeah. Um, well, a few different ways when I'm, when I'm cooking and thinking about food and pairings at the ingredient level, um, I, I'm trying to start with something that's at its best shape or its best form, Mm -hmm. you know, um, something that is just ready ready for it, whatever it is right. versus the force, you know I mean? We've all done it. An avocado that's past its prime or yeah, yeah. pre its prime <laughs> and neither of them are great. Mm-hmm. And you know that the one in the middle is just rad. Like the, the, a perfect avocado is, um, it's not at like a cracked first sip of a beer, but it's like that kind of expression. It's like, Oh, that's a good avocado, you know, but on either other end, you're like, Oh God, that thing is rank. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Um, so food. So I'm trying to, play with ingredients that you pair ingredients that play nicely together and, and there's some great resources. So, you know, a lot, a lot of it's just like methodology and learning. I mean, your background is such that your understanding of, of, um, you know, uh, projectile is way different than mine just by a math point because you studied it. Right. Right. So as a chef, uh, there's a book out there and it's been out for a long time now. It dates my culinary background almost coming up on 20 years now, but, um, culinary artistry is the name of the book and it's written by, um, Andrew Dornenberg and Karen page, I believe, but the title is culinary artistry and it, and it's such a beautiful, easy read through the seasonality of certain ingredients and then the pairing of certain ingredients, oh, okay. um, nice. you know, and so in effect, if there's, if, if you have an interest in food, then you're going to pour yourself into a 150 page, um, 
you know, uh, industry type book, mm-hmm. but it's filled with great stories of, you know, Wolfgang Puck did this one time and that's how they tell a story about sour and salty or, right. you know, how to make something less spicy by adding fat, fat coats the palate. And so it's just about learning. And, and so that's a great place to start is a book about flavor profiles. Um, and then from that point forward, and this is reverse engineered, it's like, how do you find your quarry? Mm-hmm. Well, what does it eat? And then how do you pair a food item? Well, what, what, what does it eat? Right. right. So whether you're trying to find the elk tenderloin while it's still on the hook, or you're trying to cook the elk tenderloin when it's on the pan, it's, well, what does it eat? You know? Right. So it's like, well, you know, it's three feet of snow out. So it's looking for something green, maybe around a spring. What's around the spring cattail horse tail, mm-hmm. you, you know? Okay. And so then when you're cooking it, you think, all right, well, you know, maybe that bird is eating rose hips and choke cherry and all these things and imagine they they'd go well together, oh, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's another way to think about it too. And, and, and then the, the other part of it that I think is interesting to add is not just the flavor pairings, because I do believe this, that after cooking professionally for 20 years, give or take that even through my own memory of meals eaten places I've eaten them. The thing that I remember more of most likely is the overarching story, the smell, the sight, the sound, the texture, the moped that slipped on the wet cobbles in Rome. Remember that guy? And then we brought him to our table, gave him a beer, had him on the back. Like I'm going to remember that part of the meal. I'm going to remember the meal probably more than like how good the spaghetti pomodoro was. Right. 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 Yeah. So oh, yeah. When I think of pairing foods. I also try to account for if I'm, it will smoke enhance the flavor of this meal ambiently. Will serving the meal on a rando thing like a bark or leaf be more interesting mm-hmm. to the overall experience, you know, um, uh, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's spot on. I mean, that's, especially when you go to restaurants, they always have some kind of way of serving the food and, and making that an experience. Cause you're going there, you're, you know, you're sitting down, you're either on a date or whatever. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go impress this, impress my date. And you go in there and it's like the best atmosphere that it's like the, the smells, like you said, the sights, everything is so involved just with that meal yes. that you remember everything about it. And that's, I, I love that. Well, it, 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 if we think about it a different way, it could be that in that scenario with right. that perspective to, you know, how to build flavor, we're talking about how to build cause, cause the flavor exists as a taste in our mouth. That's what gives flavor meaning. Mm-hmm. It, right. And so if then taste is a sensorial experience, then if we geek out even further and you're letting me, so I'm going Let's do it. it. Um, then, then we're really talking about cumulative experience. So that gives us a lot of room to play. Mm-hmm. So how can we make this an experience? Right. You know, and like, like there's a chef um, that really found global notoriety past his already well accomplished, um, you know, stroke as a chef in a restaurateur, but Francis Malman, um, 
who wrote a book that wrote a book that I had called Seven Fires. Um, but Netflix on the very first season of um, Oh yes, it's, I'm what uh, I can't can't believe I'm spacing the name of this Netflix show. Is it? Um, I, I think I know it's one you're talking about too. It's um, table chef's table. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, my, my friend Dane Lillegaard and Andrew Freed produced it. I should have known. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, so Francis Malman on, on, on season one shares his love of cooking over the fire, and he really gets into why it's a passion for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember if it's shared in that episode or if it, I, I read it in a book or just further looking into Francis's career, but he was being awarded or given an opportunity to receive an award um, through like a very prestigious award in France. And he's an Uruguayan chef. Um, And I believe I could be just totally butchering this now, South American and maybe it's Argentina. And he goes to France and he's like, how can I make this indicative of my food? I'm in a totally different place, a totally different country. And he comes up with an idea to bring his country with him. So he flies with suitcases full of dirt and potatoes. Like, you know, I mean, true to South America in their indigenous foods. And he covers these tables. And imagine it's like the finest China, the finest silverware. I mean, this is a... A, a banquet to honor chefs, mm-hmm. right? And so, I mean, everything is top notch. And they like shake out their suitcases of dirt and potatoes on all these tables and then serve their meal right on the terra. Oh. And that is such an ingenious example of how to pair to build a dish is by bringing as much experiential opportunity to build that, that value as possible. That's very interesting. Super cool. Wow. So let's uh, kind of like change gears here. You know, you have um, a documentary out. It's called Charged. And it kind of is basically about you had a hunting accident uh, back October 9, 2011. Can you kind of walk us through that briefly and then uh, kind of go through your experiences and kind of your way back to where you are now? Sure. Yeah. Um I guess, yeah, to, to start with, Charged is a documentary film that was released in the fall of um, 2017. And, um, you know, after sort of a year of doing film festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Charged is a documentary that speaks to um, my experience through an electrical injury I sustained in 2011. And, um, you know, the, the, the film goes into my backstory Mm -hmm. and, 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 and then covers the event and injury and then kind of beautifully captures that journey from your life getting flipped around to digging yourself out of the dirt. And, um, and I'm super proud of that film, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but the, and I, I encourage everybody to give it a look and go find it um, on Amazon Prime or through chargefilm.com. Um, but, you know, never did I think I would sit here and ha- be, right. even, you know, like 
I tell you what, I, I watched that and it, it was hard to. It wasn't hard to watch. It was very hard. Like my the emotions that you, the emotions that I felt during that charge was, you know, I, I'm not gonna lie. I cried. I mean, you you moved just the way you recovered and your your drive and your perseverance. It was just so moving. It's like wow, because you could have gave up. You could have just said, "F it, I'm done." whatever happens happens but you i don't know how you did it it's amazing like how like when you're going through your recovery what was the most difficult challenge that you had to overcome i mean there was a lot of them but what was like the most difficult to overcome well to to tee it up put in perspective for everybody we're talking about recovery my recovery was that um I, I was, and I don't think I'm ruining this for everybody. Just go watch charts, you know, because yeah. <laughs> for, for it's a beautiful piece. But in effect, I was elk hunting um, in the fall of 2011 and came across a metal can barrel, like mm-hmm. a sodden half 50 gallon barrel. Um, and inside, inside the can, I saw a black sort of ball of fur with a few errant bones and, and mm-hmm. claws. And I took a knife out, put it in my left hand, and leaned in to take a claw and received a 2,400-volt jolt into the, into the knife and, and, and then through my body, exiting in nine different places. Damn. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it just lights out. And um, I managed to – I woke up and, and got to my feet, and I managed to make my way to – Three, 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 three to three and a half miles down, down to the valley floor to get help. Mm-hmm. And and a gentleman called nine one one, and I I was airlifted to the University of Utah burn trauma unit and burn trauma intensive care unit where myself, um, my ex girlfriend who came at, remained as my caregiver, mm-hmm. um, Jenny Kane, you know my family. Um, we, we lived out of that IC unit for 50 days. Wow. Well, so when, when you did the, when you got shocked, you got knocked out and you woke up, what, how did you assess? Did you assess, like, did you have like have enough time or your marbles about you to kind of assess your injuries and did you treat yourself, um, yeah. before you started walking? No, I didn't. No. Um, the 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 quick timeline of getting from sort of the injury point to help was my eyes opening up seeing the sky clouds blue sky clouds treetops you know knew i was looking up at the underside of pine trees at the sky yeah thought to myself why am i on my back um get up and and I remember getting up being hard and, and having to kind of cheer myself on, like, get up, you get right. up, get up, you know, um, kind of like how you do when you get the wind knocked out of you. You just keep telling yourself, I'm going to be okay. And get up, get up, get up. And then I don't remember anything from getting up. I remember getting up to my, to my knees. I don't remember standing. And, and, and my next conscious memory, even to this day, is the sound of my feet on gravel um, and, and, and then, and then finding myself walking on this dirt road. Wow. That's amazing. You know? So you get airlifted, you have the f- over 50 days of recovery. Um, mm. 
like what was it like when you got out of the hospital and you got back home where did you like just to get back on your feet like where did you like root that motivation to not only survive your situation but like basically thrive through it well i think i can answer that question by finishing answering what i didn't in your last question was um you know where where did that drive come from and were you cognitive? Did you know where you were and what you were doing? Mm-hmm. Right. So like, what, what were your marbles like in that moment? And even for the next 50 days, nice to you. Right. And so when I found myself walking out, you know, it took me however long it did, but let's just call it five, four, four, four minutes, four minutes and, and 59 seconds of slow, like piecing it together. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh shit, I got it this is what happened, you know? And so coming out of that fog was like a bird whistled. And and I recognized the call of being a Western meadowlark. Uh, The Montana state bird makes a beautiful, you know, like a really, like a Disney. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, that's a meadowlark. And that's the town of Gardner. That's the Yellowstone river. What am I doing? Why am I, you know? And then, and then um, thinking, I was hunting this morning. I'm okay. Yeah, I think I'm in the BD Gold Chair. Okay, I know where I am. Um, I, I was bow hunting. I was headed to that wallow midday hunt. Oh, I saw that thing in a can. Oh, I kneeled down to, and it started coming together. And I was like, and then I thought there was that noise and then that pressure and heat from the back of my head, kind of when you pass out, it's like the last thing you feel is just kind of like this little like heat frequency energy tidal wave mm-hmm. where it felt like someone turned an amplifier up and was like, and then heat like a blow dryer. And, um, and so that like, did I get electrocuted? It just came to me. Did I get electrocuted? And at that point I looked down and my left hand, my left hand was, resting against my body and black just black charred crispy and and then it was like oh shit maybe i got electrocuted and that was that sound and my hand got blown off or you know right and and then i start and you know i'm clothed and then i know that there's a burn on this hand and and then there is just an undeniable understanding of self that I'm dying, I'm walking to save my life. Don't stop walking. Right. Don't stop walking. Don't stop uh, walking. I remember, I remember, Pat, pa- like passing an antelope buck on once I got to the low country, and remembering that I had seen that buck on the way up. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had told myself, I'll, I'll, I'll chase that sucker if I don't see an elk <laughs> at the wallow. You know, I'll see you. I remember. So it was like, so my brain was at least it knew I was dying. Go get help. It right. knew I, you know, where I was. But at the same token, uh, and it knew that I was in grizzly bear country because in my right hand, I had a can of bear spray out of its holster holding it. And so that's how I found myself, right, is walking with bear spray to get help. So I guess I was thinking about that. But in, in the other regards, I left a backpack with a cell phone with keys, with my wallet, with my first aid, with my provisions, all my things up at the site. Mm-hmm. I could have pressed 911 right from there right? and yeah. probably had someone on me within 20 minutes versus walk the three and a half miles out. And so was I thinking yes, no. Yeah. I right. mean, yeah. Wow. 
it, it was full blown basic instinct walk downhill, just like an animal does, right? Oh, you yeah. find them in the creek bottoms and ravines. I was like, walk downhill, yep. you know, and even to the point where this road traversed the hillside back and forth. And I remember thinking at the first opportunity to cut over, cut over, it'll be quicker, just go mm-hmm. straight. And then there was a marble still in place that told me, um, don't go off road. If you trip on a sagebrush route, if you trip on a hole, if you stumble on even a loose little rock, you won't get up again. Stay on, stay on that slow, slow, windy dirt road. It'll take longer, but it's as safe as bet. You know, and I remember that moment. Right. And saying, okay, I'm staying here. Damn. That's, it's extra, I mean, it's like just having to walk out and kind of get your bearings and after being electrocuted, just, it just shows you how the human mind, human body, how, how it can just persevere through anything when you like really just push yourself, you can get through it. And that, that's it. That's amazing. So once you got in, did, was it like a passerby? Did you have to flag somebody down or was it just, you came into an area where there people were, people were gathering? Um, I knew the area well, and I knew that there were houses, uh, down below. I could see them and I knew the area. Um, I passed that antelope buck and I'm, I'm shuffling. I'm not moving quick time. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm slowly just kind of one foot on the other shuffle, not picking up my feet, even, you know, kicking some dust and just making it, just mm-hmm. making it. And I think I got within a couple hundred yards of the County road and the homes were the homes I was aiming for, or that was my goal was on the other side. And I remember seeing a elder cowboy rancher gentleman, in a broad brim, come out in his truck to the road. So looking at me, cause he's coming from the homes, mm-hmm. get out, check a mailbox, you know, how you'd be a mailbox out at the end of the long driveway. And, and I remember trying to signal to him or say something or get his attention. And, and yet, I couldn't move. I had, I had, I had thrown, I'd taken the elk lanyards. I had a calf and a cow, mm-hmm. two elk lanyards. I'd taken them and twisted them under my arm to kind of support it like a sling. Right. And so that was there. And this one was holding the bear spray. And I was shuffling along. And I remember not being able to audibly make it, make the noise, the vocal noise to say, Hey, help. Not even, let alone shout it to him. Right. Yards, right. Nor could I move my body to say, Hey, help. And I saw, so I remember screaming it with my mind and, and nothing produced physically and, and watching him get in his truck and boogie. So I kept plodding along. Yep. Failed. Number one, kept plodding along, keep going. And, and I, I crossed the road and I went down the long driveway and there was a gentleman who was, um, working on the outside of his home, you know, on this log cabin. And, and he took note, came up, realized something was wrong. And, and, you know, I, I, I owe, I owe it to him and I've said thank you to him. And, um, you know, he, he, he made the call and the volunteer gardener, Montana, um, EMT team led by a, um, Yellowstone park ranger EMT, who's the lead on the local volunteer Mm -hmm. unit. They drove like hell down a dirt road, got to me, cut me open, laid me out, got me on the ambulance stabilized me and, and got me to uh, Livingston Memorial Hospital um, about 56 miles north 
where they further stabilized me while a jet was brought in mm-hmm. um, to to the local airfield. It was the most expensive flight in my life. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah. So once you got home and started your recovery, what was like some of the things? I mean, obviously you had to learn to use a prosthetic arm. Um, I think that what they called it a, the bionic arm or something. Was it? I right. forget the company that made it. it was a uh, advanced arm dynamics. I, I did my I did my research. <laughs> <laughs> so did they? I mean, you once you started getting fitted with that, what was the process of? I mean, basically you had to relearn how to use your. I mean, left hand and kind of relearn different techniques for your for cooking. How did you kind of do that? Curiosity again. Yeah. You know, enthusiasm. Um, I remember, uh, the first, so the first one, the first prosthetic I wore was built by hanger prosthetics out of Salt Lake city. So while in ICU, they were the local, um, you know, company that the burn unit recommended. So they came, did a little bit of a show and tell of, well, you're going to be named, and they were, it was great. You know, it was like, well, you know, they, they, there was immediate support in the ICU unit, even meeting other amputees who kind of volunteer to come back to the burn unit and, and, and meet fresh amputees like myself right. and help us through it. You know, so I, I, I got, kind of got started there. And, um, I remember putting my first prosthetic on and the second I put it on my psychology which was already recently shaken and stirred 30 mm-hmm. years of being bilateral to being without a hand overnight. Right. What and who am I now? And, you know, I don't even think I had started to actually process it. And, and yet now I'm putting this prosthetic on and learning how to open things and do things. And I did immediately feel bilaterally empowered again. You know, the mm-hmm. second I put it on, it was, Ooh, I've got two hands again. So I immediately recognized it as a hand by, by function and like genuinely right here, psychologically and right here, you know, between my mind and, and my heart immediately. I was like, I'm in love with that. That, that works. Oh, that's awesome. Whereas a lot of folks, you know, there are a lot of amputees that prefer to not be with one. They find it clunky and cumbersome mm-hmm. and, you know, cumbersome. But, but anyway, for, for now it serves me. Um, but I've graduated to, to this one, you know, it's, um, you know, advanced arm dynamics, uh, just on the phone with them today there, they are my team, um, you know, led by Mac Lang. And I feel like when I'm in their hands and in their workshop, working with Cole and working with Shannon, um, working with Kirsten, they each support a different part of me as an amputee mm-hmm. that had really educated me to, to remember that, Although missing pieces, I'm still me and, and I'm a curious guy. And so we have a fun working relationship where when I show up, it's laughs and it's, I get in, it's like being in Santa's workshop. They're like, all, all right, right, what are we building? Oh, oh, do we nice. need a rock launcher on that thing or what do we need on it? You know? And, right. uh, and so I've come to really, I've come to really appreciate what it does and how it serves me for now. And, um, you know, it's, uh, but, but I would have to say that, it it's a humbling thing you know it's a humbling thing to work with a a device that is not we weren't born with right oh yeah definitely like holding tongs and operating with tongs forever yeah you're always working off an extension you know so have you been out um 
like uh, doing any backcountry hunting since, you know, I mean, I saw like you were, you're shooting a bow and all that stuff. Like what are some of the, like, what's the process you do when you go backcountry hunting? Like, uh, like how do you prepare like for your gear? Like what do you carry on you? And then like um, what kind of like, what, what's your bow? Like come kind of break down like your equipment and how do you prepare for a, a hunt? You know, um, I'm not much of a gear, um, what do I want to call it? Like, um, again, I like with food, I'm basic. Right. So when I, so, so instead of focusing on the technology as much, I'll try and define what tools need to be in my kit to survive here and thrive here. Right. What is the, what's the objective? Just going on a cash hike? Mm-hmm going out trying to harvest um, food, uh, recon exploration, trying to, you know, what's the objective? And if it's recon, it's like, okay, I want to be light. I want to have, but I want to carry, I want to be light so that I can carry optics. I want glass, mm-hmm. you know, oh, so yeah. I already know where I'm at, know what I'm doing. Know there's a herd there. Okay. So this is a go in and get, okay. So I want to make sure that I have lots of calories. I want to put my weight in food. I want to, you know, then I assess the terrain. Is there water? Are there springs? Are they dependable springs? What season is it? Do I got rainfall? So always food That's front good. center. What yeah. am I eating? What am I drinking? Um, and then with my kit, it's, it's you know, I'd rather carry the weight that allows me to stay out longer. Mm-hmm. A couple extra batteries, um, you know, and then a well, a good understanding of where I'm going, you know, and not, it's great to have, I have the full Onyx subscription, and I love those guys. I love the the, the you know I really appreciate the the, um, the value of that information, and yet I also want to have a really good understanding using like a Carta Maps. I don't know if you ever used Carta. Oh uh, um, no, I have not. So a digitally printed, total weatherproof type fabric. You can roll up, you can oh, fold up. Oh, yeah, I've heard know. about those. And so you can send your coordinates and say, hey, I need a, I need a 100% scale. I need a 400% scale. You know, this is the level of detail I'm looking for. You can preset and define your whole um, criteria and, and then get it printed out, have it in your back pocket. So I think having a good understanding of knowing where I'm going is super critical. Yeah. And then um, and then having um, multiple fire starting and fire starting options for sure and then just a pretty basic trauma kit right you know um, making sure that i can stem bleeding um have the right duct tape gauzy type materials Mm -hmm. to splint and walk myself out you got a good tourniquet what's that do you have a good a good tourniquet i don't know probably not compared to you man well i think i'm gonna have to hook you up with one Yes, please. Yes, I will send you one <laughs> for your kit. Yeah, and honestly, you know, it's actually, and then really with first aid, that's one of the places that um, I think the other the other stuff, I have a pretty good success record right. at acquiring, staying fed, watered, sheltered, everything. First aid, from experience, I mean, I just walked out. I didn't do anything for myself other than split my arm, you mm-hmm. know, kept this up. And there was little bleeding. I mean, if it was not for being an electrical injury and cauterizing everything on its exit, yeah. right? I would have bled out on the spot. But first aid is one of the things that my wife and I um, really want to polish up is what does a solid first responder backcountry kit look like, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and 
how do you plan for how do you plan for that? Yeah, so we're moving. Um, we're actually moving the company up to Utah, right outside of Salt Lake City, um, in the next couple mm-hmm. of months, and we have a. Um, we have a, uh, I think it's right outside of Bozeman. It's probably about an hour away. We have uh, some more training that we're area we're going to do. So we're going to be up there a lot more. So we're definitely, uh, I'm going to hit, we're going to hit you up when we get up there and we're going to come check out. We're going to eat. We're going to, you know, I, I'm, I yes. can't wait. So yes, we'll do it do all. It. We'll, we'll set it up. So um, let's do it. It will uh, be awesome. So, so you obviously you live outside of Bozeman, but you have your, um, your uh, your uh, your business is in Bozeman. Can you tell yeah, us a little bit about that? And content. yeah, just give me like a what like like what's it like? How's it set up? And like kind of just give me the overview of it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, super proud of Montana Max. Happy to talk about it. Thank you for inviting me to do so. Um, you know, I I left my career as a yacht chef. I paraphrase all of this because right. time. You know, I mean, um, but. You know, I, I found myself really being hungry to share my love of cooking and food. You know, you, we got into it. We got kind of like deep and flowery in the first 30 minutes and talking about food. And I'm so psyched <laughs> on it that oh, at yeah. some point working on the yacht was a, a, a budget, a non-restricted budget exploration, you know, through mm-hmm. food, I, I, you know, constant ports of calls in different seasons and such unique opportunities to access boat only areas and, and fish. And it was just from a gastronomic point of view, it was just rad. And, and yet at some point I really wanted to share my love of that emotion that food brought to me to more than the guests and the crew on the boat, the 10 or 20. Mm-hmm. And so starting Montana Mex and, um, and also simultaneously launching a career as a, you know, sh- chef, a celebrity chef mm-hmm. by title was only to serve the purpose of a way to get my love out to more people or food. Right. You know? Okay. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and, and I need to give credit to my partners, you know, Jenny Jane we dated for many years, business partners for many years. It was in one of her trips to Montana and fishing with me and cooking over a fire with me and basically, you know, enjoying the outdoor food story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was through a lot of her encouragement was to start a TV show. You know, she did a lot of that legwork and uh, was definitely a, like a poke in the ribs. Like, you got to, you know, you got to do this because she was hearing me also mm-hmm. talk about, you know, losing my interest in yachting. What next? What next? Yeah. You know? So oh, yeah. Well, Montana Mex was, Montana Mex was, founded to be a company that inspires and supports all of you out there in also finding that same joy in cooking and food. Yeah. You know, exactly. we said, all right, we're going to start a condiment company. We started with salsas and guacamoles and hot sauces mm-hmm. in fresh. And then we went to shell stable, um, more efficient distribution methods and longer shelf lives allowed us to reach even more people. But the purpose of our brand is to inspire that love of such an elemental thing and to keep the value generation on generation um, versus letting it be lost because that is how food then becomes a pain in the butt to do. Right. And what are we, you know, it should be such a joyful thing. Right. Exactly. So, you know, with the COVID thing in the States and it's kind of, you know, 
with the restaurants and going out in a dining experience. But before the whole COVID thing, um, mm-hmm. do you think do you think something was missing in American dining experiences? Kind of like, are we going away from like social connections? You know how we make those over cooking. How we just talked about like eating as a tribe and and, and sharing those connections. Mm-hmm. Do you see that in the American like our dining experience in, in America? How, how do you see that missing, or do you see it? Kind of was it changing before the COVID and everything like that? Well, I think it requires a deeper. I think that begs a deeper understanding of the of the industrialization of the food process in America. Mm-hmm. Going, you know, you know, we we did start as a farming ag driven. You know, it's small. Everyone had their victory garden, their garden. You know, so many people, and at some point. When populations grew, the density was such that there was no more farmland. So then farmers would come in, and then that has just happened in perpetually. Right, right? the cities have gotten bigger, mm-hmm. fresh food harder to find. So at some point in time, I mean, companies like Heinz Ketchup was developed to mask the gnarly flavor that was a byproduct of poor ingredients, rotten right. meat. It was your only choice. Like five pounds of rum. There you go. You know, right. uh, if it was gray on the outside, tough, you know? Right. And so I, you just have to understand that the way our food systems developed, developed to support a swelling population. So there's a, so that when I look at restaurants and we talk about COVID right now, I started in restaurants and I have, and so when I look at it, I think that there's a side of restaurants and they, I, sh- I hate, I'm not trying to stereotype or generalize, but there's a type, there's a certain category of hospitality and food service that is meant to provide immediate access to food, mm-hmm. period. It's about scale. It's about efficiency. It's right. about getting people fed, okay? And, and I'm generalizing grossly. But then there's another, there's another part of that pie chart, which is there's also chefs and, and restaurateurs and food groups that I do believe – are purpose driven to share their love of food with others. Oh yeah. You know? And so, and so it's like, on the one hand, I right now, as we speak, am ordering food from a local sushi restaurant here in Bozeman, Montana, to support my buddies oh, who yeah. are getting slammed. And cause I like fresh seafood yep. and I know they fly <laughs> down, you know? Oh yeah. And, and yet, so, so I think there's so much of it that, I've dreamed about having a brick and mortar restaurant for so many years because it's another way to share and provide awesome mm-hmm. story, awesome, awesomeness to oh, the yeah, community, the place. And, and and so on the other hand, though, if if you grow up and all you ever know is reservations, takeout, and to go, right. and you never look to cook because maybe it's not just it's not a part of your life, it's not a part of your, your legacy story, even mm-hmm. you're a couple of generations removed from the kitchen. You know, I think there's a lot of loss that happens oh, there yeah. as well. And, and that's where um, I just think it's super important that it's all a balance, man. Oh, yeah. And I, I look at it as like if when when I cook my own food and, and, and I'm gathering my own ingredients, I look at it as I don't have that much waste. You know, you when I go out to and these, uh, these buffets and restaurants and a lot of them are just we, – we waste so much food in this country of just – just rant like just a bunch of waste. I yeah. And we were talking earlier about you know the the uh, the two people that did it for a year and they gathered and they had to get their own salt from the salt water. Yeah. It's like stuff like that. 
will reduce, I mean, I look at it as reducing waste because you're only getting as much as you need and you're not throwing stuff away like a lot of restaurants do. I mean, you go to like a, a buffet or in, any restaurant really and you look, walk, you walk past the tables and just the amount of waste that you see on these plates, it's yeah. like, ah, oh, like it, it drives yeah. me crazy. It's like one of my little pet peeves, but just the amount of waste we do for food and we could probably have better ingredients if we just have better like it less waste with better ingredients is how kind of how I feel about it I I I feel all of that George. <laughs> I don't even know how to <laughs> I, 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 I I to the point of insanity you know uh -huh. I I will look at our compost bin plus our chicken scrap bin and uh, you know and it's like in on the one hand I find a lot of joy in utilizing everything Mm -hmm. um, I also find sometimes to even greater joy that just by being my best damn self, I'm ending up with chicken stock. Oh, oh yeah. shit. I'm using those bones all the way up. You know, last season was the first season that I, um, actually experimented with the hoofs of wild game mm -hmm. instead of, you know, and, and the shank I'm a devotee of, and many people, um, are now as well and, and don't just grind the shanks but braise them whole etc mm -hmm. um, but, but when I, I, I now I've been keeping the hawks if given the opportunity and peeling the hoof off and in that hawk is a significant amount of awesome awesome mm -hmm. collagen gelatin and flavor for all kinds of broths and stocks you know mm -hmm. and yet it takes more time right um, but it's, I just think it's super fascinating, interesting, but, and I do, I, I feel like I, up here, I get kind of scrambled. I'm like, oh man, I want to, oh, it's going to take so much time. You know, so you can only try your best, right? Right, right, like, right. Only try your best. That's why I say, you know, for me, my program with waste is just like, I'm trying my best. And part of the fact that we have chickens and ducks and is, um, you know, so that they can, they can they can eat our eggs and we can eat their eggs right the cycle yeah. you know like if, if i'm not eating all my scrambled eggs it's going in the chicken bin and mm -hmm. there it's protein you know they're mm -hmm. eating it. oh yeah and it and then i get it back again as a whole egg it's really cool <laughs> oh <laughs> like yeah that, that's a different way of thinking about it that's that's really interesting so if you could go back in time to when you first started your kind of your culinary journey and kind of yeah, yeah. like your culinary journey, what would you, what, what, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self starting out from what you've learned and your experiences over your life? Hmm. Um, invest early in something. Yep. Invest in land. Um, and I would, to the to the young graduating chef at twenty one years old, twenty yeah. years old, you know, like it's almost like, yeah, I, I, I would, I would encourage that Eduardo, I would encourage that young cook, that chef, to um, not be afraid and recognize, not to not be afraid, if recognized with the truth that passion wasn't present mm -hmm. and to really prioritize um, not being so strung out on having to have a career or make a career or, but 
to lead, make sure to lead with purpose and passion to, to really try and let myself go to wherever I'm on fire most. Like, I think as a young 20 year old professional, you know, career starting chef, I was so scrambled by, I've got to go be a chef. Mm-hmm. I got to be an executive chef. Well, I don't know if I want to be an executive chef without 50 people, 30 people, 20 people, a brigade underneath me. I had friends going to work at the Westin and the W and the corporate awesome, you know, package benefits. And, and I just, gosh, it just doesn't seem like me, right? you know, and, and then the, the yacht called, and there was a boat in town, and, and, and I was scared, man. It was May. I just graduated culinary school, and, and I ended up actually declining that first round, that first offer. And the boat went to British Columbia, did its season, came back through Seattle, Washington, and to San, to San Diego, and called me again, Captain Mark Drulo. And he said, uh, hey, where is Captain Mark Drulo again? And um, we got the, the chef job is open, and – uh, uh, this will be the last time I call you with, with priority, but you know, you got a week to wow. write a proposal. Let me know if you want the job. We're still very interested in working with you. And I remember looking at my girlfriend at the time and not knowing anything about boating, not knowing anything about it, but knowing that it felt like the numbers added up, mm-hmm. right? Like I had student loans coming, I had liabilities and expenses, and I knew how many jobs I would have to work on land. Um, in, in your classic restaurant chain that I knew wasn't calling my heart, right? I knew right. I wasn't there. I knew I could do it. I knew I could do it, but I knew that I wouldn't fully show up. And for me, I knew that wasn't the way forward. Right. I didn't know how to define it yet, but mm-hmm. I just knew it was, that wasn't right. And yet this other thing scared me floating around the world on a boat. Do, do I get seasick? Yes, I do. <laughs> I did 10 years. Ugh. Like, you know, and yet it felt right, man. It felt right. You know, there was oh, enough, yeah. enough here just leaning towards that way that I, my, so my, so my advice to you know, the young, young chefs and cooks and a younger me would be to do not be afraid when you recognize that you have to go that way. Right. And that way scarier, harder, dangerous, more wild. Um, you know, there's a lot to be learned by being in the wild oh, yeah. and there's a lot of benefit and value to that. So, yeah. so what's, uh, what's next? Is there, we, we have a, a, we have a cooking show coming up or a book cookbook. What, what What's in the future? You know, um, well, other than being super psyched about where Montana Mex is at right now, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're really, even through COVID, you know, um, for us, it really is about empowering others to in play with their food. Um, to that note, there's a lot more to, I think, discover and find about the brand. Mm-hmm. I would say the best place to find us is go to our website. And if we're not in your local grocery store, um, montanamex.com and give it a look. So that that is an exciting journey for me. You nice. know, that that is really, I'm trying to what's the point of profit? You know, like what is the point in trying to grow your profit margin? And that may sound like a dumb question to many people, but again, for me to get out of bed in the morning for this cause, to give this so much of my life, Mm -hmm. because it's not work, it's my life. Um, how's it got to matter? And I'm really enjoying 
the purpose of being able to support others through Montana Mex, yep. whether it's a local triathlon, whether it's a larger national program, you know, I'm trying, you know, like a no kids hungry type thing right. or, or even just picking up the dang phone. Someone saw the documentary charge and said, my son is going through, my daughter's going through this, you know, whatever it may be, you know, a word from you would be huge. That makes my life relevant. Yeah. And, and so, you know, those opportunities, I want to continue to try and make space and time for those while at the same time, my wife and I just recently eclipsed our first year anniversary. Oh, congratulations. And, uh, I thank you. I appreciate that. And, um, and we have a small farm here in Montana and, and you know, we're psyched on growing our own food. And I'm trying to also like make space for that because just like in choosing that job back then, mm-hmm. you know, you can get all kinds of exciting offers, but right now I really feel a pull to the home. I feel a pull to, um, getting to know what I'm like mm-hmm. as a husband and as a, as a, as a better friend to Becca and it, and, and it's bringing me a lot of joy, man. So that's, that's, awesome. that's what I'm going to do. That's great to yeah. hear. I mean, that really is. I mean, because you, I mean, I think humans want that. They want that partnership with somebody. They want to experience that life. And, you know, when you know, you know. Like when you find that person, it, you you know right away that this is the one. And it's just great because yeah. you want to, like, learn with them. You want to experience life with them. I want to, like with my wife, Sarah, we've been married now for a couple of years. And, you know, I, I wouldn't change it. Like I love going places yes. with her and experiencing things. It's great. We have, I have a, I have two daughters from a previous marriage. And we have a, me and my, my wife have a, a son He's about 18 months. And it's just seeing them all interact. Like I come home and like they're all playing or they're all, you know, they're doing something. It's just a great environment to come home to. So now I, I really, I, I know what you're feeling, like that feeling. It's just like the best feeling in the world. Like everything's complete, you know, I love that. So yeah, congratulations on that. And plus you have a farm. Uh, that's even better, you know? <laughs> so thanks, man. It's, um, I used to think, I used to think that on the boats to just be the chef was fairly dull. Um, not fairly dull, but, but the, the, the way that I was able to stay in that industry for 10 years was also learning about how to do an engine room check, mm-hmm. learning how the engines work, learning how to navigate and read the radar and, and drive the crafts and drop the anchors and use the, like learning outside of the kitchen. Cause that was my dojo. I needed to put my brain mm-hmm in action and my heart in action in other places too, you know? And, um, and so I think that's what this is about is like, I mean, I did, it's just a new chapter, man. You know, like I'll be 39, um, in a week and a half. And I feel like my appetite is really towards how to set myself up for this next you know, you, you oh, yeah. your bags, so you're like, what do you put your backpack? And it's like, well, it depends on the adventure, man. Oh, yeah. And so right now I'm trying to pack my bags for a family chapter and, um, and it's super cool. So, right. So oh, that's awesome. So, Hey, I don't yeah. want to take up too much more of your time. Now you get that, uh, fresh sushi coming, but, yeah, I, I, do. <laughs> but I just want to thank you so much for, you know, sharing your story and, and coming on the podcast yeah. and hopefully, you know, we can, uh, just reach out to some more people and, and, and get that, uh, get the word out. So, yeah. So thank you for coming on. Uh, 
So if you're uh, interested in learning more about our, uh, Eduardo, check out Charged. I know I found it on uh, Amazon Prime. And uh, check out Montana, what was it? Montana. Mo- Montana Mex. Montana yep. Mex. So check them out at montanamex.com um, and, and buy hey, George, something. George, if I could say, if I, if I could say, well, thanks for that. Yeah, I love that, you, <laughs> that. you heard it and buy something. Um, you know, we, we, we give 5% of our profits to an organization called the Challenge Athletes Foundation. And they, they were so integral to my prescription, what mm-hmm. got me here today, which is, you know, to take the word disability and drop the dis, drop DI. Yes. Nice. You get ability. So it's like, that is part of, that is part of, of not just surviving, but surviving, we can figure out thriving after the fact means taking ownership of where we are today. Mm-hmm. What, you know, and that's in any scenario on the mountain, in the field, whatever life, what do I got? It's like assessing a scenario. What do I got? What are we working with? And then solution focused movements, you know? Nice. And so, you know, we're signing off with everybody. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm psyched that you and I got to connect. Oh yeah. Uh, the beginning, I was like, "Well, who's George Bell?" I was just talking <laughs> Mike. You know? Oh yeah, <laughs> and, I hear you. And then I pulled up the website. I was like, "Oh, this guy's a badass." Right, <laughs> yeah, I, I, but, you know, uh, I try. So, but you know, I appreciate but, you for taking it, the time. It's been great. Yeah, my pleasure. So, uh, but yeah, that's everything. So, uh, everyone that enjoyed this podcast, is this a good one? All right, take care, and I will. Uh, I'll, we'll get in contact when we go to Montana, and we're gonna eat, and it's gonna be great. <laughs> So, yeah. Thank you yeah. very much. Talk to you later. Thanks, George. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.